0: You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at eleven. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. Good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? Happy Palm Sunday. I don't know, like. I know you don't know how to react to that because that's not something people normally say. Like you, I say, Happy Easter next week, and you will be like, Happy Easter, but nobody says Happy Palm Sunday most of the time. But Happy Palm Sunday. Uh, super excited for today. This is a, a really cool thing that we get to talk about to look at this morning. Uh, we're going to kind of look at two different passages. The first one we're going to be in is in John chapter twelve. So if you want to have your Bibles open, that's where we're going to start is in John chapter twelve this morning. And to kind of paint a picture of of what Palm Sunday is. So as we all know, I think Palm Sunday is one that kind of sneaks in, right? Like it's not one. We don't celebrate it as much as Easter. We're already talking about egg hunts. We're already buying candy, maybe filling eggs. Maybe you've already had your egg hunt whatever it could be. We're already looking at Easter. But I want to take a minute today to pause and look at what Palm Sunday is, why it happened, kind of the the background. The background is that that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for Passover. And this is a really interesting situation for him to be in because throughout his entire ministry, the, the religious leaders who are Headquartered essentially in Jerusalem are trying to get rid of Jesus. So he is heading into Jerusalem when his, uh, his, them chasing after him, trying to take him down, trying to kill Jesus is kind of at a fever pitch. Things are really starting to heat up and Jesus is headed into Jerusalem anyway. There could have been anywhere, estimates are between 200,000 to a million people in the city of Jerusalem. The Passover. So, this is a massive crowd of people. And we start off here. This is the first day of the week heading up to the crucifixion of Jesus, which, as we all know, takes place on Good Friday, this coming Friday. And so, Jesus is headed in, and what's amazing to me is that he knows what's going to happen, right? Jesus already knows what he is walking into. He is walking into the trap that is ultimately going to result in. His death. So we pick up in, in John chapter 12. We're going to be starting with verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. Even the disciples missed out on this moment. They didn't understand what was happening right in front of them. That quote, uh, when it says, as it is written, is actually from Zechariah 9, verse 9. And it says just that. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. Everyone in Israel would have known that passage. Everyone in Israel would have known that passage. And what's interesting is that it points out that he was lowly, right? It points out that this is a, a lowly man. I mean, again, this is a guy that was born in a stable, born in just the filth of wild animals, not wild animals, of, of livestock, right? And so this is a lowly man by the world standards. He didn't come in on a war horse, it's kind of what they expected, right? They were thinking, like, our, our king is going to come and he's going to save and he's going to conquer. And he's like, this is, not, this is not what I'm doing. And they missed it. And you can actually see how they missed it because uh, there's a Luke's version of it in chapter 19 of Luke, if you want to flip over there to look at his, uh, his account, Luke chapter 19, picking up in verse 37. It says, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he said, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem, don't miss this, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He said, "If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace." See, the people of Israel, they, they had this different expectation of Jesus. This, the palm branch was as close as the nation of Israel had to a flag of themselves. This was their, their, their patriotism was wrapped up in the palm branch. If you look at a lot of, of uh, Jewish, ancient. Architecture, there, were, there are palm branches on everything. This is kind of a symbol of the nation of Israel. So when they are laying palm branches underneath, when they're waving palm branches, when they're laying them on the ground for his donkey to walk over, when they're laying their cloaks down for him to walk over, this is a, a we are excited about our new political military leader. And, and I love that he says, if you only knew what would bring you peace, what they were looking for was peace from the oppression. What they were looking for was peace as the nation of Israel from the oppression of Rome that they had been under for years. And they were like, finally, he is here and he weeps. Because he's like, if you only knew that I wanted to bring you so much better peace. We too often put Jesus into a box. We like to put him into a box. We make him how we want him to be. How many of you guys have seen the movie Talladega Nights with Will Ferrell? It's okay. This is a safe place. I'm not endorsing this movie. I need that to be said. I'm not saying go home and watch this movie. I would probably, as your pastor, say, probably not. Just listen to what I'm about to tell you about it. Somebody else can tell you funny things that happen. Watch a commercial, I guess. But I wouldn't like recommend this movie. But there's this scene in Talladega Nights where Will Ferrell, uh, who is a, a NASCAR driver, um, is, is leading his family prayer. And they're all sitting at the, the dinner table, and they have this fast food feast that, if I'm honest, looks delicious. Um, and he's praying, and he says, he, said, he prays to uh, baby Jesus the whole time. Dear baby Jesus, sweet, sweet six-pound, nine-ounce baby Jesus. And he's praying to this version of Jesus, and his wife says, Ricky Bobby, that's weird that you're praying to a baby. This is a weird, you shouldn't pray to baby Jesus, you know he grew up. Right. And she's trying to say, like, this is weird. And he says, no, I like the Christmas Jesus best. So I'm going to pray to the Christmas Jesus. And then his friend pipes in and he says, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt because it says I want to be formal. But I'm here to party, too, because I like to party. So I like my Jesus to party. And then his son says, I like to think of Jesus like a ninja fighting off evil samurai. And then his friend again, who's already said he likes the tuxedo t-shirt, comes back in and he says, I like to think of Jesus with a giant eagle wing singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner. Yeah. And we hear all this and you might laugh or you might be like, I'm uncomfortable with that. That seems real sacrilegious, right? Like it's like, uh, I don't know. I, w- I remember watching it thinking, mm, this is a little bit icky. Um, but at the same time, we do the same thing. We like to think our version of Jesus, what we picture, what we come up with, our, our idea of Jesus, you know what's interesting? He never disagrees with us, right? Your Jesus never disagrees with you. He's always there telling you, yeah, yeah, that's, I think that too. Our version of Jesus is, is very much something that we've made in our own image. So while we might laugh of thinking about Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt, when we see a painting of Jesus, we like, we like him to look like us. We like like to think that Jesus uh, had the same opinions that we have. We like to think that Jesus would have voted for the same candidates that we have. We like to think that Jesus would would spend his money and live as comfortable as, as we live. We put Jesus into our image. We've done the same thing that the people in Israel did. They had their idea of Jesus and they didn't want it to change. We like to think of Jesus... Agreeing with us. They were were making Jesus a military, political leader. The God of the universe was right in front of them. And instead of embracing him for who he was, they were trying to change him. What a sad moment. That's why Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem. He's like, you have absolutely missed me. And I'm right. In front of you, fulfilling the prophecies that I said I was going to fulfill. And it said that even his disciples missed it. And they're the ones he told to go get the donkey. He's like, hey, go get a donkey. And they're like, where are we going to get a donkey? And he's like, just trust me, there's a donkey. Just go get it. They're going to give it to you. And that happens. And none of this clicks with them. These are guys who would have been very familiar with this prophecy. It's not like it was like some obscure passage. They were like, oh, you know what? I didn't even know it said that. No, they would have known that this was a prophecy about their Messiah. That's why they're shouting, here's the king of Israel. Because they thought they knew who Jesus was. They, They knew who they wanted him to be. And our pride often makes us mold God into our image instead of letting Him mold us into being more like Him. We have to understand that God is better. God is better. Whatever your idea of God is, however big your idea of God is, uh, however your God looks, whatever your God does, God, the real God, is better than anything we could even imagine. He is bigger and he is better. And we have to start to understand this. There's this great series that Andy Stanley does. And and I don't necessarily, I don't listen to Andy Stanley a ton, but this series is fantastic. It's a series called Who Needs God? And and he talks about, it is a a real approach to people who don't believe in God and kind of a, you know, let's talk about why you don't believe in God. And, and, And one of the things he brings up is the different cheap knockoff versions of God that a lot of us have taught and a lot of us have believed in. He talks about the bodyguard God, and I'm just giving you a brief overview, right? He does like a whole message on just these things. He talks about uh, the bodyguard God. This is the God who doesn't let anything bad happen to you. Our God is better than that. There's the on-demand God who just gives you everything whenever you want it. It's like, I'm gonna go to God and he's gonna give me what I want. He's gonna give me what I need. There's the one that he calls boyfriend God or girlfriend God. And this is the this idea that anytime you experience God, that God is a feeling. Right? My generation grew up with this this idea that, that, that God only is present when you feel these like warm, fuzzy feelings. Like that's the only time that we've really experienced God is when we have this feeling. And we have to remember that God is better than that idea of who God is. There's the guilt God. You guys know some some of you guys know that. That God? The one that just makes you feel bad for everything you do? It's like, man, I just, I just keep disappointing God over and over. There's the, the anti-science God, that somehow the God who created gravity is against science, which doesn't make any sense to me. Because in reality, most of science points to God. But what's happened is that we've decided that God and science can't coexist. We have to remember that God is better than that version of God. Then there's the, the version of God it's called the gap God, and this is just the one who steps in for anything you can't explain, right? Like anytime, I used to drive up, uh, from Conyers, if you've ever been through Conyers, 138 in Conyers is this road that I think, this is like a, I've counted before, I think there's like 4,000 red lights um, on that road, it, it could be more, um, 4,000 red lights on that road. And I remember one time, I really do think it's over 17, I have counted. Um, I remember one time, one time in my whole life, I caught green lights, every single one. It was amazing. There was one time that it was red and I like didn't quite put on my brakes. I was like, come on, you can do this. It turned green. I was like, yes, it was great. Great moment, right? And, And so sometimes when there are things that we can't explain like that, you know, what would people say about that moment? What would they say? That's a God thing, right? That's a God thing. You know, I, I pulled into Walmart the other day. It was packed. Never seen that many people in Walmart. Somebody was backing out of the first parking spot. You know what it was? That's a God thing, right? We like to just insert God into the, the anything we can't explain. But then the more we start to understand things, the less room there is for God, right? The less room there is for God. So God is bigger than just being this, this gap God. He's better than any of these versions or even the, the angry Old Testament God. A lot of us have this view of God that when you look at him, he is just wrathful and angry and he just can't wait for you to mess up so he can punish you. All of those are cheap knockoff versions of who God is. If, if, if your view of God falls into any one of those categories, I want to tell you that God is better. A lot of our ideas about who God is can be summed up in those kind of views, right? We have these ideas of, of a who he might be. We don't give him enough credit for who he actually is. That this is the God who effortlessly created the universe. I love this verse in Isaiah that explains how big God is. Isaiah 40 verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? And when he he talks about the hollow of your hand, I want everybody to do this. It's okay to be weird. Take your hand and like just kind of relax it, right? And you see this little like, little pocket almost right here in the middle of your hand that's the hollow of your hand so what he's saying here in Isaiah is all the water in the whole universe God just measured it right here so that's about enough that that when when he's measuring out the heavens it's just the breadth of his hand that it's like yeah that's about maybe two I don't know It, it says he measured it with with the breadth of his hand so maybe it's like two the God of the universe is so big that he measures the heavens not in feet not in yards, not in yonders. Thank you. Uh, it's just the span of his hand. That is how big our God is. So whatever I, our idea of how big God is, bigger, bigger, bigger than anything you've ever seen that you could ever understand. There are stars in our universe that are so big that it would absolutely, it blows my mind to know how big some of these things are. And then God is just like, yeah, that's like less than like a, like a fingertip of mine. Yeah. And I measured the whole thing out the breadth of my hand. Our God is bigger. Our God is better than we could understand. He's so incomprehensibly massive and yet we try to shrink him down to better understand him. Let's make him a little bit smaller. Maybe then I can wrap my mind around it. But this is also not just some far off God. This is not a God who's just distant and cold and massive and and you can't really approach him because Psalms tells us that he knit us together in our mother's womb, that he catches every one of our tears in bottles. Luke says that he knows the number of hairs on your head, which I know for some of you is less than others, um, but he knows regardless of how many there are That this God who is more massive than we could ever imagine or understand also deeply cares for you. For us to try to put God or Jesus into a box and, and determine what they were or weren't based on our assumptions or false teachings, it's going to stunt your spiritual growth. When we shrink our God, your faith is going to shrink too. If you want your faith to grow, allow your idea of who God is and your understanding of him to grow. A bigger God is going to result in a bigger faith. These people who are laying down their palm branches had decided in their minds that Jesus was just a military or a government or a political leader who was going to save them from their oppression from Rome. And he did save them from oppression but it was a far worse oppression than what they were expecting. He didn't rescue them for their temporary physical oppression. He was rescuing them from the oppression of sin. He was saying, if you only knew the peace that I was offering you. What God wants to do in your life is better than what you can expect because he is better than you understand Oftentimes we have this expectation of what God is going to do or what we want God to do. And in reality, that's such a small fraction of what he wants to do. Because what's happened is that that humankind, we have changed what is good. We have changed what is good. And if you think about even now... The things that are, that are championed, the things that are celebrated in our world were, were not the same things that were celebrated 40 years ago. The things, are, things are different. This idea of good, if you were to have somebody write a definition of good now, it would probably look very different than it looked 40 years ago, and that would look very different than probably what it looked 100 years ago, and it's going to look very different from what somebody would write 100 years from now. We have changed this, this definition of good. And you know what it's based on is our broken definition and our broken understanding of what is good. If I let my four-year-old son decide what was best, his life would look very different because my son thinks that the best thing is to have candy for every meal, to not go to school, to just play video games all day. And I'm like, man, I'm with you. I get it. I know. I would like to do the same thing. I like that I don't, I guess I do go to school still. I don't go, but I do school. Anyway, it's like, I, I agree with you. That would be great. But I, that's not really good, right? That's not really a good life. And I wouldn't be a good dad if I just let him decide what was good for himself, right? That would, I, I would be a pretty crummy dad if I just said, you know what, son, you figure out what's best for you. You figure out what's good based on your limited understanding. No, I don't let him eat candy for every meal. I don't let him just sit and play video games all day. I make him go to school because I know what is good. I know what is good for my son because I have more understanding. I have, I have a concept of what good is. And, and listen, I'm not saying that I have it all figured out either. Like None of, none of us parents ever did a perfect job raising our kids, right? but we still we got a pretty good idea of, of what's good for them. The same way our heavenly father is infinitely, infinitely smarter than you are. If your version of God is not way smarter than you, you need to grow your expectation of who God is. Our God is so much smarter than us. And so he knows what good is far more than we could. So when we have this idea of like, well, this is what I think I want my life to be. This is what I want my life to look like. This is what I want God to do in my life. And he's like, I'm not going to just let you eat junk food and play video games all day. That's not what's good. Our idea of what's good is broken because we are broken and we serve a God who is perfect. So we have to start laying down our idea of who God is, what we think is good and accept that he is bigger and better than we could wrap our mind around. And we can't just lay that down. We have to lay it all down. We have to lay everything down, lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. That moment outside of Jerusalem should be a remarkable illustration to us to lay everything down at the feet of Jesus. But what happened is that they were just laying down all, what they were comfortable laying down. They were just laying down the things that they wanted to lay down. I talked a few weeks ago about these different sections that we have in our lives. We have these different things in our lives. I'm just going to list a bunch, right? And I'm sure I forgot something. But you have your family, you have your friends, you have your relationships, work or school, finances, health, faith, Politics, entertainment, your movies, your music, your TV, we have these different areas of our life. And for a lot of them, there's no reason for them to interact. We've got them kind of separated off, almost like rooms in a house. But it's like, sure, these are all under my roof, but you know, I don't, I don't take things from one room into the other. They, they kind of have their own space, right? And I kind of leave them all in their rooms. And what happens is that when we when we want to experience the goodness of God, when we want to give him everything, we can't, we can't lock doors and say, no, 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 not that one. You, you, don't, you don't need to go in there. There's nothing, that's my, that's my room. You don't need to be in there. What's funny is that we, we don't let him into all of these areas of our life and then we wonder why things are going so badly, Right? Like if you don't let God into your finances, and your finances are bad, I got a pretty good suggestion, right? Got a pretty good, pretty good thought. If if you if you're trying to find a spouse or you're trying to date and your relationships just it's like I just can't seem to find the right person. I got a pretty good suggestion for you. If you're not letting God into that area of your life, I I got a pretty good guess as to why things aren't going so great in that area of your life. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong and think that I'm a a health and wealth and prosperity guy. Like, I'm not going to say that if you give everything over to your life, that everything in your life is just going to be great. I'm not saying that at all. Cancer still happens, right? Relationship conflict still happens. The stock market still happens, right? The supply chain, which I'd never heard of until six months ago, still happens, you know? Things still happen. So it doesn't mean that everything in your life is always going to be perfect. See, these people, they were, they were saying glory to God in the highest, but they actually they didn't make him the highest. They were making what they wanted still the highest. They were saying, you know, God, you, I'm going to let you have everything, but, but this one thing I'm going to keep above you, I'm going to keep out of your reach. I want to challenge challenge you this morning to think about every area of your life that that Jesus may not be higher than. Think about all those areas that I just listed off. I want us to think about the story of Job. We have this fantastic story of Job that's really depressing to read all at once. uh, But it's a really good story. That Job lost everything. Job lost everything, and God allowed it to happen. The enemy comes to God, and he says, hey, I want to... This is a very generic summary, but he's like, hey, I want to mess with this guy, Job, and God's basically like, you can do whatever you want as long as you don't kill him. That's all. That's it. Just don't do that. And Job, all at once, loses his house, loses his property, his livestock, his animals, loses his kids, do you think it's interesting that he didn't lose his wife? Which says a lot about Job's wife, right? Like the enemy was like, like, the demons were probably like, hey, we want to go take out the wife. And Satan was like, no, no, It's better to leave her. You should, you should leave her. He's going to be far worse off if his wife is there. Don't leave, just leave her there, right? Like what does that say about Job's wife? Yikes. I don't want to be the one that's left. It's like it's better if she stays alive. Anyway. So Job loses everything. He has lost everything. And you know what Job says? He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. What a response. What a response. Would this be your response? I think there's a lot of areas of our life that we'd be fine with, right? There's a lot of areas of our life that we would be fine if God took it away from us? It's like, you know, we think, you know, I probably could be poor. I could probably, probably could do without a lot of the things that I have in my life. But then if, if you start to say, what about if He took away your ability to have air conditioning? Now that's it's starting to warm up, not today, obviously, it's cold. But what if all of a sudden you, you didn't have a bed to sleep on? You don't have a house. Are you still saying... Glory to God in the highest. May his name be praised. If he takes your family away, if he takes your, your comfort, if he takes your job away, are we still saying the name of God be praised? And I'm not saying this because I've got it figured out, right? Like I'm not saying that I would do what, what, say what Job said in area, every area of my life, but what I'm starting to see is that if there is a faith. Breaking possibility, then your faith is only in a God who does what you want. If there is something in your life that it's like, you know, if 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 this happened, I don't know if I could believe in God anymore. If if this thing was taken away from me, I don't know if I could believe in God anymore, then your faith is not in a God that's big enough. God is not better. I mean, God is better than what we think He is. If if we can't get there, he's not better for us than whatever that is in our lives. Invite God to be in every part of your life. Unlock those doors that we might have put up and said, you know what, God, I don't want you in this area of of my life. I've got it. I've got this one under control. I don't really need you here. It's not about needing God in that situation. It's about the idea of surrender, of letting him have every part of your life. Invite God into your finances. Approach them with his wisdom and his discernment and how to honor him in your finances. Invite God into your entertainment. Allow uh, Allow him to help you know what is going to be beneficial for you and what is going to be harmful and give you the strength to avoid the things that we should avoid. Invite God into your work. Whatever it is that you do, invite God in to honor him through how you treat your coworkers, or just how you do the work in and of itself in a way that honors God. We have the God of the universe dwelling inside of us. Again, you have the God of the universe dwelling inside of you, yet there are parts of your lives that you just pretend he's not there. Or you try to tell him, just close your eyes for a second, I gotta do something, just don't... Just don't pay attention to this. Or just, hey, can you just go over there for a little bit? Or or we just forget that he's there. And then we wonder why our lives are a wreck. That's why. Because we're not surrendering every part of it to him. And again, I'm not saying that following Jesus is going to fix all of your problems. But when we start to lay the things down at the feet of Jesus and start to honor him through how we live, we're going to feel a peace about it, right? I'm going to know that I'm glorifying God in my finances. So even if things aren't okay, I know that he's in control. It's not up to me. I know that if things are, are, are messed with me relationally with my, with my friends or with my family, that if I surrender those things to God, it's not up to me. These are things that I can lay before the feet of Jesus. The people outside of Jerusalem were laying down their politics, their oppression for Jesus, but not their expectations of who he was. If we truly want God to change us, for us to live for him, for us to have that abundant life, we have to lay it all down. The more we surrender, the more he has to work in and to work through. This is evidenced by what happens next. We know Palm Sunday is just five days away from what happens on Friday. That Jesus shows us the power of sacrifice. That his sacrifice, his willingness to give his life for us brought us back into relationship with God, redeemed our sin, and ultimately results in us getting to share in his glory in heaven. Amen? That's good news. We get to share in the glory of Jesus because of his sacrifice. That's why we can lay it all down, the feet of Jesus, because we know what he has to offer is better. Look, Jesus is not trying to pull something over on you, right? He's not trying to have you give up all the good stuff and you're just stuck holding this bag of bland burlap, I guess, a whole bag of burlap. That would be boring, right? Like if you... I just handed you a bag of burlap. You'd be like, I don't know what to do with this. So I was like, hey, give me all your fun things. Here's a bag of burlap. That'd be a bad trade, right? That's not what Jesus is trying to do. That's not what God is trying to do. He's saying, lay it all down because I have something better. Just like I would tell Zeke, put the candy down, put the video games down, go to school because it's going to be better. I know in the moment, it doesn't feel like school is better than video games. It doesn't, I promise. promise. But in the long run, it is what is better. And that's why Jesus says what he says in Luke when he says, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. What he brings us is better than what we want. And oftentimes we act like a spoiled teenager who says, You just don't understand. You're never going to understand me. You don't understand what it's like to be me. And that's the approach that we have to God. Is you don't understand what's good. I've decided what's good. God is saying, "No. If you only understood how good I am and how good I want to be to you." We lay it all down because he laid his life down. We know that when we lay all of ourselves down, we are going to receive something better what I want you to do is I want you to take a minute and really think about those areas of your life. Think about every area of your life. And think about what have you not surrendered to God. Think about what is the one thing that it is the hardest for you to give God control over. The thing that that if, if God took it from you like he took from Job, that it, it, it might break your faith. That it might be the thing that says, you know what? I don't even know if God is real anymore. Because again, if that's our idea of God, we have too small of an idea of who God is. We don't understand how big and how much better our God is if this thing could break our faith. And what I want to do is I want to give you a time when we, when we pray here in a minute, I want to open up the altar, and I know it's kind of messy up here. I'll move the mic stands so that you can have a place. You can come up to the chairs or uh, come kneel at the altar, but I encourage you, if there is a part of your life that you don't feel like you have let God in, if you have not laid it all down at the feet of Jesus, I want you to physically do that, to come down and say, you know what? I want to literally kneel and lay this thing down before you. I just want to tell you that it is open, and we can take an opportunity to do that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you came to us. Even when we had a broken idea of, of what we thought you were going to be, that we still do. That we still have this idea of, of what we think you should do or who we think you should be. God, I pray that we would lay down those expectations. That we would say, You're better. You're better than, any, than anything that I could ever come up with, than my idea of what good is, is so, so simply based on the temporary but God, you are better. And I pray that we would be people who lay everything down at your feet, that there's nothing that we hold back from you. That we don't say, God, as long as I'm comfortable, I'll follow you. God, as long as as my family is around, I'll follow you. God, as long as I have friends and a support system, I'll follow you. God, as long as I have safety, I'll follow you. I pray that you, we would just lay everything that is a part of our lives down at the feet of Jesus. We would allow him to walk all over them because he is so much better. It's in your name we pray, amen.